yes. Welcome back to Home Studio Q&A here on Studio Live today, live from Adelaide on Facebook and YouTube, or perhaps you're catching the replay or even listening to the audio version on the podcast. Wherever you are and whatever you're doing and wherever you're listening, I hope you are doing well and you're ready for another 30 minutes, okay, it's usually 40 or more, uh, for a while of Home Studio Q&A where I answer your questions about home and mobile recording. We've got a bunch of questions that have come in during the week and we've got some wonderful folks here live on YouTube and Facebook. So if you are here live and you have a question, all you need to do is pop the word question in front of your comment and that way I'll be able to see them as the comments are flying by and as you're chatting, which I highly recommend and encourage, I'll be able to tell which ones are actually questions that I should be checking out and trying to answer. But like every week here on Home Studio Q&A, I've got a bit of a feature topic. And this week we're talking about one that I get asked about an awful lot. And that is singing. What tips do you have for singing in the home studio? So we'll jump into the feature topic, but then hang around because we've got a heap of your questions coming up immediately following this feature topic. So when it comes to singing in the home studio, what can you do to make sure that you get your best quality recording? Well, it kind of breaks down to five main areas and five tips. So what I'm going to do is take you through the five tips that I have and that I pass on to folks when they ask me about recording their singing, their vocals. Now, first and foremost, I am not a professionally trained singer, but I have been singing for probably 25, 30 years, and I've recorded more than 100 vocal performances in singles and videos and EPs and albums over that time. So I've worked out what works for me over that time, and that's the important distinction to make up front here. A lot of times you'll hear advice from folks and they'll say, do this, do that, do this, do that, boom, you'll be perfect. I don't believe in that. I believe in take on ideas, Try them for yourself. What works, use and implement. What doesn't, don't use. So these are not things that I say, Pete says I must. These are things that Pete says work for me. Maybe they'll work for you. Let's jump in. Number one is preparation. Prepare. Proper preparation prevents poor performance. Ever heard that? The five Ps? Yeah, it come, it's, it's definitely true for singing. So knowing the lyrics, knowing the melody, practicing a bunch before you hit record. This will build your confidence. There's nothing worse than hitting record and then going, oh, what was that lyric there? Oh, does, does that melody go up there or down there? Like you don't have to go nuts with this. You don't have to plan it all out and be perfect, but you do want to get some practice in. So if you're singing a cover song, singing someone else's song or even your own song, make sure you spend some time in the practice phase, get the preparation right. It'll make the end performance so much better. Tip number two, technique. Now, specifically mic technique, because when you're singing, you're generally using a microphone of some description. So number one tip is not to eat the mic. I know when you see those posters and things, people are so close up on the mic that it's like, yeah, it's like they're actually eating the microphone. Now, that's, that may work on a live stage. So if you're using a, a, a studio, not a studio, if you're using a dynamic microphone on stage, an SM58, something like that, then yeah, you might need to get up close on that thing to prevent feedback and to prevent interference and other things. However, in the studio, especially if you're using a condenser microphone, give yourself about 20 centimeters, you know, around about eight inches away from the microphone, you're going to get a more balanced signal. Using a pop filter is also highly recommended. So some sort of pop filter, pop shield, foam cover, it means your popping P's won't be as poppy and your sibilant S's won't be as hissy. So mic technique and the stuff you use with your microphone, tip number two. 
Number three, microphone choice. Now, you may need to use the mic you have, and that's cool, but if you're using the mic you have, experiment with it. Learn how to get the best sound. Get the best you can from the equipment you already have. That's always my number one tip when it comes to gear. But if you're considering upgrading, think about your voice. My voice is loud, so oftentimes I'll use a dynamic microphone. If I'm singing a loud rock song, I want a dynamic mic. So if you're a metal singer, if you're a rock singer, if you've got a really loud, booming voice, you may want to go for something simple like a, an SM58 or an AKG D5, one of these dynamic cardioid microphones, the handheld style. However, if you've got a softer voice where you want to bring out the clarity, you want to really hear every note and get that, get that quality coming through, then maybe a condenser microphone, a large diaphragm condenser mic, like something like the Audio-Technica AT2020. And by the way, if you are in the market for gear, you can head over to studiolivetoday.com slash gear. That is my gear guide with all of my recommendations for stuff to use in the studio. Tip number four, speaking of gear, what other gear do you need? Well, you don't really need anything, but the one bit of kit that is pretty important when you're singing, or at least when you're recording and singing in the home studio, is your cans, your headphones. So I recommend closed back headphones. These are the Sennheiser HD280 Pro. If you're watching on the video, if you're listening on the podcast, you can look those up or check out uh, studiolivetoday.com slash gear. These are a closed back headphone, which means that the ear cup goes all the way around my ear. And that's important because it blocks out the noise and it blocks that bleed getting back into your vocals. And bleed isn't the worst thing in the world, but too much bleed can really impact your performance. The other thing is your audio interface, whatever you're plugging into, and again, even if it's just plugging into your phone, whatever it is, if you can set the input gain, try to set that gain so that it's right in the sweet spot. If it's too low, you're not going to get enough volume through. If it's too high, it's going to be clipping. You want to be aiming to hit about 50 to 70% on your input meters. That will give you the best possible quality while still getting a nice signal through. And finally, your output of the actual recording. So whatever you're singing along to, make sure that that level is high enough that you can hear it, but low enough that it's not going to bleed through and you're still going to be able to hear your own vocals, your own singing. So just play around with that balance until you find, again, what works for you. Because what works for you may not be what works for other people. I know vocalists that need really loud audio into their headphones. It's the only way that they can really get into the song. So yeah, you sacrifice a bit of bleed, but you get your best vocal performance. Tip number five, <sighs> relax. Really, just relax. We're in a digital environment, right? So you basically have unlimited retries. You can keep trying again and again, and you can always boop hit the delete key. You can get rid of it, you can get rid of your recording, and you don't have to keep it. So just do your absolute best, but relax into it. Sing like nobody is watching or listening is a good advice, good bit of advice too, because the challenge I have, the challenge that a lot of folks have is they tend to sing within themselves. So they tend to sing at about 70 to 80%, which would be like, I want to rock with you in the thing, as opposed to, I want to rock with you in the thing. So yeah, let it go. It's easier to go too intense and dial back than to not be intense enough and then have to find that extra energy. So pretend you're a rock and roll singer in a hairband, do whatever you need to do. And remember, music is supposed to be fun. Enjoy the process. If you're happy and you're comfortable, that will truly come out in your voice and the quality of your singing and your vocal recordings.
There you go. That is my five tips around getting the best vocal performance, the best singing recording in the home studio. Let's dive into some questions. We've got a bunch of questions here live, which we will jump over to in just a moment. Uh, but for now, uh, we will jump into some questions that have come in during the week. So if you do have questions, you can always email me uh, or leave a comment on any of my videos. And I'm always down there in the comments responding to a lot of those uh, a lot of those, uh, a lot of those questions and comments that you have. Let's dive into some now. Here's a question around how to use echo and delay in GarageBand iOS. And Rip Inc says, how do you add echo to one word at the end of a phrase? So in GarageBand on your iOS device, on your iPhone or your iPad, the only way to do this is what uh, I call a second, a duplicate track method. So what you need to do is take your vocal, duplicate that whole vocal out, and this is very, very poignant because it's about vocals, or it could be about a, a guitar solo, I guess, and duplicate that entire track. And then just take that piece of audio that you want the delay on, copy it, paste it into the second track, and then add the echo or the delay just to that second track. I know it's a bit of a hack, a bit of a workaround, but the problem is GarageBand on iPhone and iPad doesn't have the ability to automate anything except for volume. So all you can do, if you wanna have effects on a part of a track in GarageBand on your iPhone or iPad, copy that bit, put it on a separate track, add your effects, your delay, your whatever, to that second track. It works really well for that 90s. Don't forget the delay, lay, lay, on the very last word, word, word. So if you want that sort of effect, you can do that. And I do actually have a video about the epic 90s delay trick. So if you search Pete John's delay 90s or something like that, um, you'll be able to find the video about how to do that. On other DAWs though, you can actually use effect automation. So add the effect into the track and then go to your automation and choose that effect. And then you can actually bring that effect up and down throughout using automation. So GarageBand on Mac and a bunch of other DAWs have that method as well. Let's move on here. This is a question related to my video about the plugin order when mixing. This is from Victor Hugo. Uh, it says, Pete, I'm considering changing my iPad mini for an iPad Pro 2020. Will I need different connections, cables, or adapter for my Scarlett Solo to keep using GarageBand? The short version to this is yes, you will. The main difference is that your iPad Pro, uh, you've got here the iPad Pro 2020, uses a USB-C connection as opposed to your old iPhones and iPads that use a lightning-based connection. Now, you've heard me rant on this for years that you need to use the genuine Apple Lightning to USB 3 adapter if you want to connect up USB gear like the Scarlett Solo we're talking about here to your iPhone or iPad. The good news is if you're using an USB-C iPad Pro, you can pretty much use anything because USB-C is a standard generic format. So instead of having to use the real genuine Apple stuff and paying the Apple tax on top, you can use anything. And I've actually got a video that I'm working on at the moment where I show both the genuine Apple USB to USB to USB-A adapter as well as a generic one. And spoiler alert, the generic ones work just as well. And they're about a third to a half the price. So yes, the one thing you'll need is instead of a lightning to USB-A adapter, you'll need a USB-C to USB-A adapter. And then you'll be able to use any of your more recent uh, your more recent um, uh, what are they called? audio interfaces <laughs> that use USB-C. Find your words, Pete. Find your words. It's funny, I'm just talking about singing, and apparently I'm struggling to even be speaking in this one. Another question here from Farhan says, how to connect a USB audio interface to an iPad or iPhone? iPhone is the video. Can I connect the audio interface through a laptop into an iPad? Now, this is an interesting question. The short answer is no, 
And if I understand the question correctly, what we're looking to do here is to plug an audio interface in a laptop. So say plug a USB audio interface into a laptop and then send the audio from the laptop directly into your iPhone or iPad. Now you can do that, but here's the thing. The input on most of your iPhones or iPads is either gonna be the lightning, the USB connection, as we said before, or just your headphone jack, your TRRS headphone jack. So if you use the digital connection, well, you'll need another audio interface. So you'll need, if you're sending from an audio interface on your PC and you wanna send it into your iPhone or iPad, you need to then connect a second audio interface to accept the signal into your iPhone or iPad. If you're thinking, hey, I can work around this by just using the headphone jack as the input, well, you can, but here's the problem. It's a TRRS connection. It means it has stereo output, but it only has mono mic input. So if you're trying to send a high quality stereo line level signal into a single mono microphone input, your quality is just not gonna be that great. So is it feasible and technically possible? Yes, with a TRS to TRRS adapter, you can then just send a line out from your PC into your iPhone or iPad. You're only gonna get mono audio and it's not gonna be super great mono audio. So keep that in mind, but yes, it is something that you can do, but I would go with another option of using a second audio interface or just going straight in via an audio interface into your iPhone or iPad. Uh, I did a video about auto-tune or the subtle use of auto-tune during the week. So if you want to use pitch control, if you are doing your singing, again, it's a lot about singing this week. If you're doing your singing and you want to get the best quality on your vocals uh, and you want to maybe give yourself a little bit of a fix and a nudge, auto-tune can actually work and you can use it uh, quite subtly. Uh, so Max says, how uh, could you do a tutorial about making the vinyl wobble effect on GarageBand? Would love if you did. Uh, sure, I probably can. Uh, so vinyl wobble effect. There are a couple of plugins. There's the, uh, now I've got to remember the name of it. It's called Record LP or something weird. It's a Clevgrand plugin. Um, do I have it? Oh, I can't look it up on here. Uh, let's just see if I have it on my iPad here. Uh, but yeah, there's, there's a few different ways you can do it. I did a video about the vinyl scratch effect or a vinyl kind of crackle effect. So if you search my name, Pete Johns and vinyl, and you search that on any of your platforms on your YouTube or your Google, then you're going to find that. But um, I'll just see if I can find the name of this one. I don't have it installed apparently. It's called Record LP or uh, Door LP. There you go. It's called Door LP, D-A-W-L-P. It's made by Clevgrand, which means you know it's going to be good and work well. And that is a really cool uh, plugin for playing around with that sort of thing. If you want to get those, it, it's weird. I mentioned this on a recent video, but how long did we spend trying to get rid of things like the warble of tapes and the scratching of vinyl LPs to get this crystal clear digital recording? And then we flipped it around and went back, right back to the start again. Yeah, that was really smart, wasn't it? Alrighty, let's jump in and see the questions that we've got from the folks who are here live. Uh, I'll just scroll up to the top and we'll come on down because I saw some questions really early on and then uh, we'll, uh, we'll continue on. Uh, Logan, uh, just before the show in the pre-show, asked how do you keep passion in your singing in the studio? I find myself sounding a bit lifeless or dull. Yeah, sing like no one's listening and my my... my my honest opinion with this is that the majority of people that struggle to get a good, passionate vocal in the home studio is either you're singing the wrong stuff, you're singing stuff you think people want to hear, so you're not singing a genre that you're passionate about, so therefore you're losing your passion, or you are self-conscious. You have other people around and you don't want them to hear you. We've got this weird thing as humans that we don't want other people to think that we are passionate about things. It's not even really that, but 
the difference between you singing like this and just singing along and not having that passion or really letting go and doing your whole like uh, operatic theatrical thing, once you can get over that, you can pass that point where you're just not caring. I know it's hard. Don't worry. It took me 40 years to do it. So don't think I'm saying, hey, you should just fix this overnight. But if you can get past that, and the easiest way to do that is find a time where there's nobody around. And I know you might live in apartments, you might have close neighbors, it can be tricky. But find the time and the place where there's the least amount of people around. So it's just you and yourself and nobody, nobody's judgment or nobody's perceived judgment. Because here's the thing, people aren't actually judging you. People, we, we, we seem to think that people care more about what we're doing than they actually do. They got their own stuff going on. They're not caring about whether you're singing at 80% of yourself or 120% of yourself. Just belt it out. Just do it. Uh, I know that's, that sounds like a simple solution and it kind of is, but hopefully that helps some of you that maybe are at that point where you're like, oh, I just can't quite push myself. Just do it. Find it. You, you'll be amazed at how good you sound. Uh, question here. <clears throat> Excuse me. Question from Cody Brady says, Hi, Pete. I'm working on a song called Change the World. Uh, I've been watching your tutorials in GarageBand and they've been really helping me. Uh, maybe when I'm done, can I play in one of your live streams? That's a good question. And yes, uh, a good segue into the fact that I'm now doing a weekly, by popular demand, of doing uh, a show called Your Music Live. So if you do have your own music and you do want to get some feedback and advice from not just me, but the whole Studio Live Today community, then uh, email me, just pete at studiolivetoday.com, put YML in the subject and give me one or two sentences about your song, uh, how you created it, what it means to you, something like that that I can read out on the show. It's a really fun show. We're doing about two hours per week of this and we're just listening to a bunch of tunes from the community. So it's been a lot of fun. So thank you, Cody, for being here and for your question. And yes, uh, send it on through. We are about two weeks behind. I've got a backlog of about two weeks worth. So uh, you may need to be patient. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, Jeff Brush uh, says, I learned with singing this week that the little sponge cover for the mic is not a replacement for, for a pop, pop filter. Yeah, so I use, I use a pop filter when I'm singing vocals. When I'm doing live streaming like this where the popping P's and the S's are not as important, I just use my little foam windshield. So yeah, it really depends on what's more important, the quality of the video or the audio. But the other thing is to, as you'll notice here, I'm not, I'm not talking directly into the top of the microphone. I'm slightly off to one side. Uh, those that are listening on the audio can't see this, I know, but don't sing directly into the diaphragm of the mic. You can just sing slightly above or below or to the side. It's going to pick up enough of the audio without picking up the those puffing of your breath. So good, good call out there from you, Jeff. Uh, Stu Cash says, uh, question, I think indie rock, what's the best mix compression effect to nail my vocals? So indie rock and vocal chain. So what would you put in there? What do I put on there? Because I do sing quite a bit of indie rock style. Uh, what I, compression, uh, yeah, is always on. So you always want some compression there because you want to make sure that your vocal is coming out nice and level. So what a compressor does is it pulls up the lower volume parts of your mix and then it pushes down those peaks. So it basically levels out your vocal. Now, if you crush it too much, it's going to sound over compressed. So I usually dial my compressor in at about three to one, four to one ratio, and then just tweak my threshold down to make sure that it's getting the right level of compression. Uh, I then usually use some delay. Uh, indie rock vocal loves a good delay. So I'll use, depending on the song, an eighth note or a quarter note delay. Uh, and I'll just use a little, I'll dial a little bit of track delay, track echo into the mix. 
Uh, then I use an overdrive. So I use some sort of distortion or overdrive plugin, only a little bit. But the thing is, for an indie rock vocal, you want a bit of grit and you want to rub it in the dirt a bit, as Jade Star would say. You want to get a little bit of an edge to it. So adding a little distortion or overdrive can really help with that. And then just your EQ, which will depend on your vocal. Um, that's going to be different for everyone. You want to find the frequencies that in your voice that are distracting, like for me, it's the nasally ones around about there. They're the ones that I want to find and remove so I don't sound quite so nasally. Uh, so, But for you, it may be different for that and make sure that you're not competing with the other instruments. So in an in a indie rock, you might have a whole bunch of low end. So you may even want to do like a, a, a low cut on a low cut filter in your EQ on your vocals so that your bass and your, your kick drum and that stuff down at the low end, it, you're not getting any sort of frequencies from your vocals that are coming through. So there you go. That's the that's the quick uh, two minute version of, uh, of my vocal chain that I would use for indie rock vocals. Hope, hope it helps you out, Stu. You're, you're producing great music. I've, I've been listening to some of your stuff. So hopefully that can only help and improve what you're doing. Jake Shepard has a question. What Apple software are you using to live stream for these comments and headings? Looking to get into some live streaming on iOS soon. Any tips appreciated? So yeah, I'm using StreamYard and I'm actually using my PC. So I do most things on my iPhone and iPad. I haven't found a really great way to do what I'm doing here using iOS yet. There are things called Streamlabs and there's another one that I forgot the name of, but there's a few different streaming platforms I'm going to start experimenting with. I've just got a Roland Go Mixer Pro, which I'll be testing in some of my live shows today. So if you're watching this live in about an hour and a half's time, I'll be doing a happy hour show where I'll be testing those out. And yeah, so there are different options, but I've found that using either OBS on my PC, so open broadcaster software, or for a chat show like this, StreamYard is great because I can throw up the comments, I've got little banners I can put up, I can transition the screens really easily, and it's just a simple solution for doing that. So uh, yeah, StreamYard.com, try that out if you've got a PC set up. It can work from mobile, but not to host from mobile. You need to host it from a PC, but guests can join you, and you can actually have up to six people joining me here. So you would have seen that in previous weeks, I've had other people co-hosting, I've done interviews, all using StreamYard, so definitely recommend it. Alrighty, let's uh, continue on here and see if we've got some more questions here. Uh, Cody, we've, we've, uh, we've answered your questions, so we'll move on. Uh, I'm just looking for the word question. Once again, if you do have a question and you're here live, put the word question in front of it, and then uh, I will be sure to be able to uh, answer it. I'm uh, just scrolling on down to see if we've got any others before we jump back to the other questions. We've got one from Gino Therese here. Uh, Gino says, is it a good idea to lay down a scrap vocal track early to get a feel for the song earlier in the process? I think you feel it more as a song as you, uh, and your overdubs will be more informed. Uh, yes, yes. So I, I almost always do a scratch guitar and vocal. They're, they're kind of my main instruments. So I almost always do guitar and vocal first and make sure that I've actually... Uh, the, the one thing that that can do is if you do that early... Uh, quite often I'll record a whole bunch of stuff and then I'll go back to do my vocal and I'll realize that I've set the tempo either too slow or too fast for my vocals. So I find by doing a vocal recording earlier in the piece, you can actually get a feel for what speed, what tempo, what BPM you should be setting your track at. So I definitely do that. The one thing I'll say with a scratch recording though is still record it the best you can. Don't just phone it in when you're doing your scratch vocal or your scratch guitars or your scratch anything. You'll often be surprised at how good it can be 
and that later in the process, you go back and try to do your re-record and then you can never quite get it the same as you did. I've had so many final vocals on so many final mixes that are actually take one. They're actually the scratch recording because I just, at that time I was relaxed, back to the singing stuff, I was relaxed. I wasn't really overthinking it. I wasn't trying to, to, to just you know, nail it because I thought this is the absolute final vocal. So it actually came out a lot better. So yeah, good good question and uh, good informa good information, hopefully, if it's the sort of thing that you're looking to do. Uh, Drake Shepard says, uh, question, what reasons did you have to upgrade to iPad Pro 2020? I'm about to invest in one and be interested to hear your opinion. Yeah, so I mentioned in a couple of videos recently, sort of I've given a quick overview of what I think of the new iPad, the iPad Pro 2020. My main reasons that I went to this uh, was the, the fact that I just wanted something that would be able to work. So when I'm recording audio or video or doing my editing or doing anything, I just didn't want the technology to get in way of the creativity. So for me, the iPad Air 2 that I was using and the iPad Pro first gen I was using were great until they weren't, until I overloaded them, put too many effects on, tried to do a screen recording for too long. I was basically just getting tired of the failures. And as iOS, once we hit iOS 13, because they were kind of the earliest versions supporting iOS 13, I was finding that I was having more of those glitches and errors and problems. So it was less about the fact that I wanted to do something new or different and more about the fact that I wanted to do the things I was already doing, but with better reliability, quality, speed, all those sort of things. So hopefully that explains it. Uh, I do have a review I'm going to do in the next probably week or two now that I've had this for over a month so that I can say here's the good, bad, ugly otherwise. So maybe keep an eye on the channel for that review coming soon. Let's uh, see if we've got any other questions. I'm just scrolling down once again. Put question in front of your question when you are uh, when you're putting your when you're putting your uh, question. <laughs> the words are not my friend here today. Uh, Righty dokey. So we have a question from Ruben. Hello to you. Hope you're doing well. I'm using the Zingyu ZY007 mic. I record with GarageBand for Mac OS. I'm noticing when I record, I hear a hissing sound in the recording. Is there any free software that can remove hissing? So is there any software that can remove hissing? Yes. It's Bruce Free from Clevgrand. I recommend it all the time. It is great, but it does cost. It's not super expensive. It's only a few dollars to buy, but it, it does cost you a few dollars to buy. So I think it's around about $20 on iOS and it might be something like $30 or $40 for a Mac version. Once you have it though, you, you, you use it on everything, video, audio, vocal tracks, guitar tracks, anything that has any annoying background noise. And the beautiful part is that unlike a noise gate, it will actually go through and profile the sound and then it removes it even when you're singing or even when you're playing. If you don't have the cash for that, a noise gate is your next best thing. So that will remove the hiss sort of in between phrases or before or after. So a noise gate does the thing where it basically listens for the noise and then you set it. And the Nembrini noise gate, uh, if you're on iOS, if you're on Mac, just use a standard Mac noise gate. It does a pretty good job on GarageBand, but that can actually remove the noise before and after each part that you're playing, but it won't do anything when you're actually playing. It basically just turns it back on. doesn't do any processing for that. Finally, you can use EQ. So if you can find where the noise is, it's usually up in the top end. It's usually a high hissing sound in the treble. Find that frequency and try and drop that down should help you out. 
All righty. Uh, thank you for the folks who are here live. We will jump back at the very end of the show if there are any other live questions. Once again, if you are here live, make sure that you do put the word question at the front of your comment. It's the only way that I can, can uh, logically see that uh, we've got questions there because there's a lot of folks chatting and helping each other out in the chat, which I find awesome. Uh, but uh, yeah, I want to make sure that uh, I can get to all the questions. So if you pop question in front, we'll get to it. Let's jump in. Speaking of question, here's another one. So this is about cover songs. Uh, I did a video about whether cover songs, are they legal? Can you do them on YouTube? Uh, Claire had a question. Hey, Pete, how does it work when the song you search for on YouTube music policy shows up, but maybe it's a weird titling or a live version? For example, I searched for Despacito, but other Despacitos came up. Then I type in Louis Fonzi, and many of his songs do show up as not coverable. But the song that doesn't quite show up is the one she wants. Uh, also, when looking at the Cranberries, many Cranberry songs are uncoverable, but Zombie doesn't show up except as live versions. Confusing. Yeah, it is confusing. It is totally confusing as to what you can and can't cover. One of the reasons that I started doing my happy hour show every week and I started doing cover songs is I kind of wanted to just test the waters. So early on, I was, I was doing some testing and I would, I would record these songs and then I would, I would do my performances and I'd do a test run and upload that and then make sure that none of them would get flagged. Uh, or, and here's the thing. If, if you're not familiar with copyright on YouTube, you can't use other people's music because sometimes you'll get your videos blocked or you'll get your videos taken down or you'll get copyright strikes. If you play a cover song of someone's song, it can also get copyright claimed and sometimes you can also get your video blocked. But most of the time with a cover song, it will simply put a copyright claim in and then any money you make, if you've got a monetized YouTube channel, if you're part of the YouTube partner program, then any of the money made from advertising will go to the original songwriter. So I tested this out and I've done, what, seven shows across seven decades and played more than 80 songs and not one of them resulted in any blockage or any copyright strike. And I played a bunch of different songs from a bunch of different artists. Got a heap of copyright claims but no strikes. And I've been talking to other people in the industry, all playing cover songs, and they report the same things, that you're pretty safe these days to do a cover version of pretty much any song. There's a few bands, I think the Eagles are one that are notoriously super protective, so maybe if you played a, a perfect version of Hotel California, maybe that would actually get blocked or get a copyright strike. But for the most part, you can pretty safely, I reckon if you played a version of Desposito, there's heaps of covers of Desposito, and there's heaps of covers of Zombie that are on YouTube right now, and none of them seem to be being taken down or blocked. So yes, as long as you're willing to accept that if you're using someone else's song as a cover song, you're going to get a copyright claim, means you can't monetize that video. But if you just want to get it out there to share it, go your hardest. I think you'll be absolutely fine. Uh, continue on. This one uh, was in relation to my video. What's the difference between USB mixer and audio interface? So Cheng's Bond asks, for simple karaoke singing and video recording, do I need an audio interface or a mixing board or both? Well, here's the thing. It really depends on what you want to do and what you're connecting it to. For karaoke, for live streaming, for live performing, a mixer is usually a better option simply because you can dial in your different settings. If you've got your backing track and your vocal microphone track, you can dial those in, get those blended and mixed right, and you can change it up on the fly. So if I was running a karaoke night, I definitely want a mixer because different people will have different loudness in their voices. You want to make sure that you can balance that. Different backing tracks will be at different levels. So it's going to be a constant you know, change around of your levels and things. 
if you are just say singing karaoke singing along and want to record a version of your favorite song an audio interface can be absolutely fine for that because you won't need to be changing your settings on the fly you'll dial it in at the start you'll hit record and you'll record away so it really depends on what you're trying to do a great solution if you want to is to have both like you could just have a mixer that you plug into an audio interface and then you've kind of got the best of both worlds but if i was going to go one over the other and i was doing karaoke i would go with a mixer hopefully that helps you and others with that question uh, let's talk microphones now. Uh, Eon68 says, I'm connecting an Audio-Technica USB mic to my iPhone through an adapter and it's working. But there is, is there any way I can add reverb? I want to do a singing and a guitar performance live stream, but it sounds dry without reverb. Thanks. Yeah. So here's the challenge. With, with a normal microphone or audio interface, there's no what we call loopback functionality. So if you're recording something, it can be difficult to record, say, in the camera app and then also be recording the microphone audio, but also say uh, an app. So say you wanted to plug it through Tonebridge or, or GarageBand to get some effects on your guitar. If you've only got one device and you're doing it all through that device, it's gonna make it quite tricky to do because the audio that's going into your camera app is just the audio from the microphone. So it's not gonna add those effects. Couple of ways to do it. I've just picked up the Roland Go Mixer Pro, which is for doing exactly this sort of thing. It does have a loopback function. You can plug in a guitar and I'll be experimenting with this through the week so you can do a similar sort of thing. The other thing that a lot of folks do is say you've got an iPad and an iPhone is to use, say, the iPad as your guitar processor. So you plug in, you plug through the iPad, then you send the audio from the iPad into the iPhone and you record that. Uh, that has the same sort of challenges that we talked about earlier, that often you'll need like two audio interfaces or some way to connect it all up to get it happening. I know it's weird. It sounds like it should be the simplest thing that you've got your video there, you've got your microphone. All you want to do is tweak a little reverb. It's actually not as simple as you'd think it should be if you're just using a USB mic. So sorry I couldn't give you a simple, easy solution. Just do this. But uh, hopefully that helps you out. And if, if you, if one of you in the Studio Live Today community has a, a suggestion for how to do this, then please drop that in the comments of this one. Maybe using Audio Bus or AUM or something, you could do some sort of routing that might help out. Hopefully uh, that would be the case. Uh, a couple more questions here. How are we going for time? Yes, we are nearly at the end here. So we'll answer a couple more. We'll check in with the folks live and then we will finish up for the day. Question here from Lucy. This is around recording vocals. Very vocal-centric show today. Uh, it says, my headphones are connected to my interface and I can only hear my vocals when gain is at full on my interface. No matter how loud my output is on GarageBand, I, can, I, I also cannot hear any effects through headphones while singing. Can someone please help? So, uh, it's really hard to troubleshoot these sort of things. If you're connecting an audio interface to an iPhone or iPad, Depending what software you're using, say you're using GarageBand, you need to ensure that you're monitoring the audio. So what will happen is if you've got your headphones plugged into your audio interface, you're playing back your backing tracks or whatever you've recorded in GarageBand and you try to sing along, if you don't have monitoring on that track, you're going to hear all the other tracks, but you're not going to hear your own vocals. So turning monitoring on on the track is number one tip. Make sure that you're actually hearing that and then tweaking the input gain on your interface. So making sure that your vocal input gain, again, has you hitting that meter at around 50 to 70% when you're singing along. And then it might just be turning up the overall output gain on your interface or the gain or the output volume 
on all of the other tracks and just finding a balance on those output volumes to make sure that they're all sitting right. There may be something that, that I'm missing here with this one, so maybe you'll need to provide a little more information, but that's a few troubleshooting tips that I would recommend if you are struggling with hearing back and recording along to your tracks in GarageBand or using an audio interface in general. Question here from Sujan Tamu. Uh, this is about uh, the guitar mic interface, the Tascam IXZ or IXZ that I use and recommend. Uh, Sujan says, hi there. Thanks for the video. I got one last week. I thought the headphone port is for monitoring live what we input, but I can only monitor the playback from phone what I've already recorded. Yeah, so once again, I think the answer to this one is probably the same as the last question to make sure that when you are recording something, because here's the thing, if say you're just recording on the camera app, you're not going to hear, you know, it's not going to monitor the audio back by default. And even using like the voice recorder, it's not going to do that. If you want to record audio and have monitoring, something like Audio Share that has a voice recorder that you can turn monitoring on, that will help you out. And there's other video apps. I use an app called Movie Pro that actually has audio monitoring. So you can actually hear what you're recording back in through your headphones by monitoring. And obviously GarageBand and other recording software has a track monitoring function as well. So hopefully those things help you out with that one. We've had a lot of that, yeah, a lot of singing, a lot of audio interface, and a lot of recording vocals related questions. So this has definitely been our singing and vocals special here on Home Studio Q&A. Let's check back in with the folks who are here live and see if we've got any final questions before we finish up here. Uh, hello to Love Buzz the Band, who is here. He's got a question. Oh, I've missed the button. <laughs> there we go. A uh, question from Love Buzz the Band. It says, I'm working on an EP and I've recorded all the instrumentals, but I'm having writer's block for lyrics. Any tips? So my biggest tip for lyrics, I've talked about this before and I've showed this before, uh, is to use a speed thinking exercise. So if you are writing a song, let's say you're writing a song about, uh, I, I don't know, what's, what's a good thing? Water. You're writing a song about water. Let's write our water song. What I would do is, yeah, I want to write a song about water. So I'm going to sit down and put 60 seconds on a timer. Uh, I'm going to take a drink. Yes, that was just an excuse for me to drink some water. Um, we're going to put uh, 60 seconds on the timer and then we're going to go go. And then we go water. And we just start putting different ideas down, either vocally, like just in a voice recorder, or doing it, typing it, writing it down, whatever you want to do. So you go water, flowing, river, uh, tides, waves, uh, earth, flat earth, <laughs> round earth, uh, tide, uh, weather, rain, rain, hail, thunderstorms, lightning, uh, thunder. So you go through that process. And at the end of 60 seconds, you go back through and you've got a bunch of words. But then you can sort of start connecting the words and working out different phrases and different concepts that then you can build out into lyrics. So maybe what I should do is do do a song completely using this process. Like just go, do. there'd be actually a fun live stream to do, to just say, all right, folks, throw out a word and then, uh, or, or vote on a word, and then we'll just use that as the basic and then we'll see if we can write a whole song. But that's my tip for, for getting over some of that writer's block stuff. Uh, and it's a lot of fun too. And you get these really weird left field ideas. So your song may take a complete turn that you didn't actually think about because you're using your conscious brain. When you've got writer's block and you're trying to push through it, you're using the conscious part of your brain. What you want to do is tap into the subconscious, that quick fire response that you often can't actually tap into when you're deliberately trying to think. It's only when you're under the pressure of having 60 seconds to think about things, your brain goes into just autopilot mode and you get all those ideas out. So hopefully that helps you out. Um, 
uh, interesting note from Mark Guest says, I, I put out a cover of Hotel California solo on Twitter and it was removed and I was threatened for account deletion. There you go. Don't mess with the Eagles, I think, is the, <laughs> is the key takeaway from that. Oh, uh, yeah. I'll just check if we've got any final, uh, final, final questions. Oh, so Stu Cash has got, uh, got a, a tip here. It says, to record live, I've used an app called Focusrite Impact. It records you live and you can add reverb onto the track after. Ah, it's a bit buggy, but I got some decent results from it. Yeah, I probably didn't touch on that, but obviously if you're not doing it live, if you want to record a performance, you can, of course, then add effects afterwards. So even if you record the video, what you can do is convert the video to an audio file, throw that back into your favorite processor, so GarageBand or anything, any uh, audio conversion app or any audio processing app, and then make your changes, re-export that audio, add it back to your video. Now, if you're using something like iMovie, it's a little bit clunky to do that. It's still possible. Uh, I would suggest something like LumaFusion, which is a, a higher-end editor for uh, for your um, iOS device. If you're on iPad and iPhone. If you're on Mac or PC, there's a heap of different things that you can use for that. Righty dokey. Uh, I think uh, I think we've we've covered everything there. Uh, let's see. Uh, cool. I think we've got everything that's got question in front of it. Once again, uh, thank you for your questions. Uh, I do hang out at the start and the finish of these live shows. So if you're ever here live, I don't go away straight away. So if I miss anything, we usually do some mopping up. But for those watching on the replay, uh, for those listening to the podcast, thank you for being here. Thank you for your questions. I hope you got some value out of this. If you did, do all the good things. You know the things. Hit the like button. Subscribe either to the podcast or to me on YouTube or Facebook so that you can get updated with all of the new videos and we will of course be back again next week for another episode of home studio q a take care folks i'll see you then